1: The sound you've waited months to hear. It's caused some of your greatest triumphs.
2: NC State rides on the strength of the pack
1: and your biggest heartbreaks. And he missed it. NC State wins. What a game. It's the option at Georgia Tech. It's Howard's Rock. The smoke in Miami. And every Saturday, you tap that sign. The wait is over. College football is here. Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. Before we dig a little deeper, I want to tell you the story about how this intro was created. Because (laughs) what's been happening... It's been Fiddy sending me some highlights of each of these programs over the last 10 years or so. And I will put the the highlights as you hear, right? You hear everybody doing the Wolfpack, Hal. You hear a couple of the wins, including the NC State win in double overtime last year against North Carolina. Because that was a monster game. Crazy, right? Double overtime victory. They won with Ben Finley, missed extra point, or missed field goal, I should say, at the end. Boom, NC State wins. Dave Doran out here talking trash. We know how it was. Monster victory for NC State. The highlights I got did not include that victory over North Carolina. In fact, I didn't get any highlights of NC State beating North Carolina. And who is responsible for sending me the highlights once more, I tell you? (laughs) It's one North Carolina fan decked out in a UNC hat and UNC shirt as we speak. Fiddy made sure that he sent me three highlights. Two were upsets against Clemson. Okay, that makes sense. And the third highlight he sent me, if you could even call it a highlight, was NC State quote-unquote surviving a week one upset against ECU. Like I'm supposed to put that in there as a highlight. If they would have lost, we would have been destroying NC state, but I was supposed to put it in there as a highlight instead of their double overtime victory against North Carolina in the last (laughs) month of the regular season. Fiddy, I promise you, I am not being sarcastic about this. I love that you did that. I actually love that the fandom in you did not allow yourself to send an NC State highlight beating North Carolina, and I had to go looking for it myself.
3: I mean, look, here's the thing. I I spent a lot of time searching for a good call of NC State season being made by upsetting Carolina. But, you know, I'm not a big fan of Gary Hahn, so I didn't want to give him more credit for being uh, the human being that he is. You know, a lot of the stuff that the ACC Digital Network puts out, there's mm. a music bed or something underneath it. Well, we got our own music bed. <laughs> it would have been a conflict of interest. Uh, uh, sh- so, are, you know, are we sure? Are we
1: sure that those other highlights you sent me didn't have any music bed under it? Are we positive about that? I
3: was trying to give you the best quality to <laughs> to produce a great <laughs> intro to to talk about NC State. Nah, who the hell am I kidding? <laughs> <laughs> Look, call me unprofessional, call me whatever. No, I love it. Honestly. I don't give a damn.
1: Yeah, I do love it. I promise I'm not lying about that. Like I, there, I, there was ahead.
3: no way I was pulling highlights of like last year really hurt because you got Drake man, you're losing, you're losing to Ben Finley. Two years ago, when you're up by nine with the two and a half minutes to go, when I knew in my heart we were going to lose, I didn't want to revisit those emotions because I hate these. I hate this school. I hate moo You. I don't want to talk about them. But we're going to give them the week to talk about a program that's going to go eight and four.
1: Yeah, you are a T away from calling NC State a Pokemon with moo You instead of (laughs) Moo-2, right? Like, that's something that you're really close to doing. And because you won't give them that respect – I decided to give them a highlight from what was a fantastic game last season. Let's talk about NC State West, shall mm-hmm. we? Looking back at what they've been able to accomplish in recent history, last year they were a going to look at Dave Doran's career here real quickly. 8 and 5 last year, 9 and 3 in 2021, 8 and 4 in 2020, had the 4 and 8 season at 20 and 2019, uh, 2019 and then had winning seasons Every single year, going back to 2013, when they were three and nine, his first year as NC State's head coach, this has been a program that has performed very well under Dave Doran. We asked him at ACC kickoff, how does it feel to be the eighth longest tenured coach at your university alongside Mark Stoops at Kentucky? He said, man, it just goes to show that I'm old. It goes to show (laughs) that, you know, I'll, I'll stay here as long as NC State will have me. Dave Doran, pretty clearly one of the better-performing head coaches in all of the ACC last year, no different at 8-5. And
2: And to supplement your points, just to give people out there a little bit more data, since 2020, NC State ranked second in the ACC, only to Clemson in victories with 25. Coach Dave Doran, man, when you play for him, you're going to go to a bowl game. He's coached bowl-eligible teams in 17 of his 21 seasons in Division I. The Wolfpack are tied with eight other schools with five wins each against seven plus win teams. And in terms of wins over bowl eligible teams, NC State is tied for third nationally with six and just TCU trailing just TCU and Georgia. He's had 72 victories during his time there, the second highest total in school history. He has more nine win campaigns than any other coach in school history. He's got three of those under his belt and has now led six of his 10 NC state squads to seasons with eight or more victories over the 2020, 21 and 22 seasons. The Wolfpack have won 16 straight home games, tying as the longest home winning streak in school history. And lastly, His teams between 2014 and 2018 qualified for five consecutive bowl games, second longest bowl streak in school history, and he is the only only the second coach in school history to take teams to five straight postseason vote.
1: Yeah, Dave Doran is somebody that you believe in to lead this team to a winning type of season. Defensively, they've been very good, and we can look back at last year and even the last couple of seasons. He's on the doctor program, the eight-year program, but NC State defense, they do get a monster boost from Peyton Wilson deciding to come back and play another year with NC State, but this is also a defense run by the defensive coordinator, Tony Gibson, one of the better guys in the country, the 3-3-5 scheme. It's always interesting to go to The weird schemes in college football. We did this with Duke. What was their scheme again? It was like a four, two, five. Thank you. Four, two, five scheme. You have a three, three, five here in college football. Very different. You're talking three, four or four, three in the NFL. That's really about all it is. But here you have Tony Gibson doing what was a fantastic job last year with that defense. You have some guys coming back. We had a chance to talk with Aiden White at ACC kickoff. One of the best ACC cornerbacks. I expect no different going forward. I would like to take a look at their first quarter of each season in the last four or so years, Wes, because they always have that one game that they either struggle to get past or they drop one of their first two games. If you look at what they did last season, that was when they survived ECU on the road. They went twenty-one to twenty, and boy, it was a close one. That it was. N- NC State. They would go on to go four and zero before their loss to Clemson, fifth ranked at the time, and so that's not bad. But four and zero with a barely uh, with a close victory over ECU that was certainly a slip up. If you go back to two years ago, twenty twenty one, they beat South Florida forty five to nothing and then they get beat by Mississippi State 24-10. to 10. You go back to 2020, they lose to a ranked team in Virginia Tech 45-24, to 24, but still happened at the beginning of the season, and it was a close matchup against your team in Deacons when they won 45-42, to 42, but still an offensive shootout and a close one at that. I think if you look at what NC State can do this year, Notre Dame is going to be tough. But if they beat Notre Dame, if they can beat Notre Dame at the beginning of the season, the second week that they have the Fighting Irish – You can look at a five and zero start potentially six and zero with Marshall being the team right there in the middle of the season. Even five and one is a good start. Wes, this is a team that's going to have to capitalize on the opponents they have outside of Notre Dame in the first half of the season.
2: Yeah. And that Notre Dame game is going to be intriguing as we get to their schedule later in the week, because they have a familiar opponent in Sam Hartman that will be the quarterback for that game. So that's an advantage uh, for NC state as well. But again, you love Dave Dorn and what he's been doing for this program, because we were talking about this pre uh, show in the fishbowl. It's like NC state fans, every time he loses one of those games that they feel like that maybe he shouldn't lose or, when they get excited, uh, like the year that they were able to beat Clemson just a couple of seasons ago, they want to cap capitalize on that and go forward. And we know a couple of seasons ago they could have captured that elusive 10-win season had UCLA decided not to get COVID the night before the game. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So they had a chance to be able to do that. But this is a program that they are looking to get to that double-digit win total. And a lot of people have gotten frustrated with him because there have been a few seasons, a few teams where people have been like, this is the year this is the year they're going to do it now he's got Brennan Armstrong at quarterback this is one of the better quarterbacks I would say if he is able to return to what he was a couple of seasons ago he would be the best quarterback that they've had uh, in quite some time and so who knows where their ceiling could go from there because we know the defensive pedigree that Coach Doran's teams have as well but they're one of the, the the programs they used to call it Clemsoning when Clemson would lose the teams right. and lose games they shouldn't. And NC State fans feel the same way about their program when they lose certain games. And I feel like they kind of uh, mistreat Coach Dorn in a way because a lot of times they feel like that they should be more than what they are, and they want to fire the guy every time he loses a game. The coaching job. Let's let's uh, let's let's sit here for a second and just go back. As you said, you want to go back to last season and the coaching job that he did. He comes out, Devin Leary in the offense, they underwhelmed to start the season. But then he's pulling some games out of his behind with quarterbacks that, you know, Ben Finley wins with Ben Finley. Then he goes and gets wins with my man that I like him, M.J. Morris. This kid comes in, a lot of people feel like, is he ready, is he not? Beats Virginia Tech in a game they had to battle back in. Then pains me to say it, but they beat my Demon Deacons as well with MJ Moore. So he had to win games with three straight quarterbacks last season. Still got you eight wins. You do lose to Maryland to start or to finish the season in the bowl game. But he did a really good coaching job last season because I thought that when Devin Leary went down, that this team was going to go into the tank. I thought that there was no way that they had quarterback depth for an offense that was already struggling with the guy that people thought was going to be maybe a high-round NFL draft pick or be one of the top quarterbacks in college football, I thought they were done for. And so I had to give Coach Dorn and the crew credit to win games with two other quarterbacks to end the season, including, to Fiddy's dismay, beating Drake May on the road with Ben Finley in a game that I thought that they would get beaten soundly to, uh, to finish out their regular season.
1: So Fiddy had a problem with me talking about Dukes tiny quarterback history, NC State certainly has one. That I don't know how tiny it is, to be honest with you. Now, here recently, maybe they're not going to be first or second, third round NFL draft picks, but this has been a squad, Wes, that really always has a good QB. I mean, we, they've at least consistently had a good one. I like Devin Leary more than you do, so maybe we were a little maybe that's a little polarizing to mention but Devin Leary is still someone that did throw for 35 touchdown passes in 2021 We know that there were a lot of people that were high on what he was able to do Ryan Finley, certainly in the last few seasons, he played from 2016 to 2018 and had 60 touchdown passes in that time. That's good for fifth all time on the NC State passing record books. So, Ryan Finley going into Devin Leary. You can go back to what Jacoby Brissett was able to do 2014-15 now we know he's still an NFL quarterback this has been a squad that has always had a quarterback that you trust just enough Mm -hmm. and so now the question is such a wild card with Brendan Armstrong being reunited with an offensive coordinator that he had with Virginia a couple of years ago where he put up monster monster numbers at Virginia and can you get anywhere close to that with an NC State squad that has had higher expectations for the most part. You get there with Bryce Perkins as Virginia to the ACC championship a few years ago. But for the most part, NC State is a team you believe in every year more so than what you believe happens in Charlottesville. Can you get the best out of Brendan Armstrong again with such a good quarterback history that you've had within the last 15 years or so.
2: Yeah, and you hear about from this team preseason that they're faster uh, uh, defensively, that the guys that they've had to replace, that they're getting some upgrades in some positions because this defense was really, really good last year and we'll get into them uh, even more. But I think that this is uh, going to be an interesting team. I want to see what the skill talent, if they can deliver there because as we've said, if you can get even 75 to 80% out of Brennan Armstrong yeah. what you got in 2021 then this could be an offense that finally catches up to the defense but we'll see if that defense can replace some of the guys that they lost but this looks to be a, a, a fairly solid NC State team on paper and that's what you expect from coach at NC State man he's just been rock solid
1: I saw David Hale put this tweet out there it looks like NC State is doing that Wolfpack thing where nobody really talks about him They're flying under the radar. They get enough attention. They're not completely to the wayside. They get mentioned, but they're not going to be mentioned with the likes of North Carolina when you have that QB under center. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be mentioned in the same way that Florida State is now that they're back. It feels like they're trying to take that slogan away from the U. No, Florida State is back. Clemson they deserve all the attention they get for the rain that they've had over the ACC for quite some time so maybe not as much attention surrounding NC State and yet here they go another year where they finish with eight wins I mean I could totally see that happening once more because it's what they do Dave Doran gets you eight wins He's not going to get you anything less than seven, really. And not not here recently. Had the one year with four. But you can feel pretty good that Dave Doran is going to get you a couple of games above bowl eligibility. That'll do it for team week. A little taste for the rest of the week that we'll be talking about NC State football. Looking back at their recent history. Now we'll move forward to the offensive unit, discuss a little more about Brandon Armstrong and Robert and I tomorrow. Defense on Wednesday. We'll talk to a guest Thursday. Final predictions on Friday. Let's keep sounding. Coming up next, Panther season. Preseason is in full, in fact. So we're bringing Keep Sounding back right here. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.
2: McDonald's is not new to chicken.
1: is Walker Sports Radio 927 WFNZ sad? how are you feeling this why are you feeling the beat
2: i like it but dang i feel like i should be sad sitting mm-hmm. somewhere in my room thinking
3: about
1: where I went wrong. Now at it, it it feels right. Like I feel <laughs> like uh, I
3: mean, probably hating North Carolina is a good place to start. I'm listening.
1: <laughs> I'm listening to this in the car, looking out the window while the beads right. of rain are dripping down, and I'm thinking about the offensive line and how they perform against the New York <laughs> Jets. So it's a very fitting beat that Fitty played there. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. How are you feeling about the Carolina Panthers after preseason game number one? Lots of talk about the offensive line. Every focus, really, to me, Wes, the, the biggest worry from everyone is more so on the offensive line. Let's go to Keep Sounding, playing some of the latest sound bites we got post game from the head coach, from Bryce Young. Matt Corral spoke as well. Let's start with Frank Reich talking about the protection, specifically on the right side of the offensive line. He said the three different right guards in the first three series was by design.
4: That was by design. You know, Campion and I had talked about that, you know, coming into the week, you know, just. We've really been cross-training those guys, just wanting to get a look and the different combinations, and um, they've, they've been getting a good amount of work and just thought it was important to get each one of them a drive kind of with the ones in that combination.
1: Biggest worry that you've had has to be that spot. If you were to have to pick one position, would you pick right guard, Wes, or would you pick something else?
2: Yeah, I would pick right guard for sure. I mean, the interior of that offensive line is going to be so – important and so when we talk about the offensive line play i think you have to start there
1: yeah if you look at what darren uh what darren gant wrote on panthers.com gave you the panther snap counts he said after rotating right guards with the first unit all of those linemen continued to play cade mays got 28 snaps Justin McCray and Michael Jordan got 26 each as they rotated them through different positions. And so Michael Jordan is the one that seems to be the biggest scapegoat here. And scapegoat implies that it's not really his fault. Man, he didn't play very well. He's also the, I believe, lowest graded pro football focus player out there for the Carolina Panthers. show. Under 40. Michael Jordan has been someone... Not very good for the Carolina Panthers the last couple of seasons. Ever since he came over from Cincinnati, Carolina picked him up under the Matt Rule regime. It just hasn't worked out for him. So right right guard, that is the thing that I worry about most until maybe Chandler Zavala can actually give us some snaps over there. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. And then, of course, Austin Corbett, who we feel good about. He was one of the big reasons as to why the offensive line made us feel a lot better than previous seasons last year because corbett was a good free agent signing let's move on to frank reich again discussing the game plan and how they're going to take it week by week with bryce young
4: we'll take it game by game you know i don't want to overcommit to that um, you know what we've talked about as a team we need to do what it takes to get ready for our season opener and uh, and and we're committed as coaches and players to doing whatever we think that is if that's playing a lot then we'll play a lot if that's if we feel like nope you know we're good we don't want to show anything we're we feel confident in what we've been doing day to day in practice and you know we want to try to save guys then you know we'll make that decision but right now you know i we've sent the message as coaches and players be ready to play and if we feel like it's the right thing to play a lot we'll play a lot if we feel like we need to stop you know kind of sit back we'll do that and I respect the players because they're all bought into that. They're they're trusting that process and trusting us as a coaching staff to say, okay, let's get ready. Let's get ready. The, the goal is to get ready for Atlanta and get ready for the regular season. So everything we're doing is geared around that.
1: Bryce Young was four of six on 21 passing yards. No interceptions. Did get sacked once. We do know that the pressure was in the backfield quite a bit. And if you just want to go over some of the – things to evaluate with Bryce. I thought the first reception we saw from him worked through the left side of the field, found Adam Thielen on the right, took the hit stunt left. Icky bamboozled, as I mentioned, right? Just, I don't even know if Icky got a hand on anybody to be honest with you on that pressure where Bryce young got the ball out of his hands and then boom immediately gets knocked <laughs> to the ground. The welcome to the NFL moment, you might call it. And then you look at a tough situation his next time out there. They were up against their own goal line. I've heard Mac and Bone and Colin mentioned this earlier today, how Raheem Blackshear should have caught that punt, but instead he let it go. And then it was just a slow dribbler to the end zone. The defense had all day to wait, make sure the football got, got as close to the goal line as possible, and then pick it up, left the offense in a real bad spot. They tried to give a quick handoff to Chuba Hubbard, didn't get anything. And the next play, Wes, I, I think Bryce Young just wanted to do everything he could to not be sacked in the end zone. Because if you look at how that series went, Chuba Hubbard doesn't get anything on the handoff. And then... Bryce Young throws it very quickly on second down to Chuba Hubbard coming out of the backfield. And he's not even past the line of scrimmage before Bryce says, nope, I'm not worried about any other route. This ball is going straight to Chuba Hubbard because he doesn't want to get sacked. Yeah, With the offensive line not performing well, with him being backed up against his own goal line, let's just get this thing out of my hands. And then that also happened on the failed attempt to LaVisca Chenault on the left side. Didn't seem like they were on the same page. LaVisca was supposed to, it looks like, come back a little harder to the line of scrimmage, to the line to gain there, and just a little bit miscommunication between them. But every single one of those plays, every both of those throws, I should say, just, I think it was all about where you were on the field that didn't allow him to be successful. And then the third series, nothing happened there either, and that's how Bryce Young would end his day. I'm not leaving this performance worried at all about what Bryce Young did, though, right? Like, How much of this do we point to Bryce Young and say that's the reason they didn't score a single point or weren't successful in the first three drives?
2: Yeah, I mean, he didn't really have a chance to get into rhythm with the way the line was playing. And again, a very vanilla scheme. They didn't try to take any real shots down the field. He kind of took what the defense gave him and he went out of the game. So I don't think there's a lot of blame to be put on Bryce. From what you saw, I mean, I guess you could be happy with that, but until we get to see him in some extensive action where he gets multiple uh, series to get in there and be able to do what he does, uh, hopefully we get to see more of him in game two, which I think that we will. Um, And so I did think, though, as long as he did play, I did think that that was because he played two series or three series. Three series three going series, into the second yeah. quarter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So I was a little bit surprised that he played longer than that because I remember sitting there watching it, and I said, man, I, said, I thought they would have taken him out after the second series, but I guess because of the fact that they hadn't done much, they wanted to hopefully see if they could get something
1: going. Well, I mean, in in the first quarter, the Jets just held on to the football for so long. And so he doesn't even take the field until what, midway through the first quarter. You get one first down yeah. and that's it for that unit. And then we talked up you know, about them being backed up against their own goal line and then the third series not working out. So it was very he he got some play in the second quarter. I thought it would be a first quarter and then it, it probably I would guess that that was probably the game plan. I mean, it's not crazy to see only two series played by a unit in one quarter of action. And so, you know, it felt like three series, maybe a nice series that they would have in the first quarter. And then they would just bring Bryce Young to the sideline, let Matt Corral play the rest of it out. But they wanted to see something. They wanted to see something and they couldn't get it. And at that point, it's like, all right, it's not working very well for this unit. You know, it's Matt Corral time and they would move on we can talk I'm about sure they didn't
2: want him to take any more hits
1: no absolutely not because he was taking only one sack but still taking hits the first reception that you had from adam thielen on the day he got hit as we talked about with icky getting beat let's hear from the starting qb bryce young he talked about if that was indeed his welcome to the nfl moment
5: i think just as a quarterback you know you go like you know you go months and months without actually getting hit and this isn't something that's new this year but kind of every year kind of the first time you get hit it's like a cool like alright cool like you know it hasn't happened but like alright I remember what it feels like like we're back playing football so um, you know mm-hmm. yeah it's definitely like you know the first time I've been hit since college so you know you don't get the same, you know, tackling drills or full physicality that other positions get. So I think universally, um, you kind of, every first hit, you're always like, all right, cool, like now we're back into the season mode. Um, But again, at the time, you know, you just keep it pushing. You know, you got to move on to the next play.
1: What do you make of those comments from Bryce Young? Feeling good to get hit again just to get you ready for the NFL season.
5: Sounds like a football player. Mm -hmm. I know
2: he's been anticipating that. We talked about last week how I said he was sacked 63 times at Alabama during his time there, so he knows what – a hit feels like it once he take that first one, man. A lot of guys are like that. I know, uh, myself I, I did not kinda lose the nerves until I got hit for the first time as well. Once you get that first play under your belt and you get some good contact and you're like, Okay, let's play a little bit of football and so I think he's much the same way, you know, the the quarterbacks are coddled during practice. They don't get hit. So once he gets that first one, I think he felt like he was kinda of getting back into the swing of things.
1: All right, so he was under pressure. We know that. Here's Bryce Young talking about how he and the offensive line were working together to try to avoid more pressure in this game and in the future.
5: One of the things that for me it really means a lot is, you know, we were having conversations on the sidelines and we talked and everyone and again the accountability that they're taking as well um again for me i know the stuff that i want to improve on i want to get better at um you know in, in all aspects in all facets and i don't look at sacks i don't look at failed drives as this is this one person it's one unit or one group's fault it's all of us that we need to get better at but again you see them having the exact same mindset um coming you know coming back you know us having conversations about what happened what's going on hey this this you know how can we get better how can we avoid things in a situation you know um again we're competitors you we want to go out and compete um we didn't get the result we wanted today, for sure. And, you know we have to improve on that, um, but you know this is the time for us to work through those things to get better and to to grow as a unit. And um, you know again now that it's it's done, all we can do is look back and look at the tape and try to learn from it. I don't
1: know how much you watched of the other rookie quarterbacks this first preseason action. Anthony Richardson got to see him play. Got to see Will Levis play. We know about C.J. Stroud. We had a chance to talk about him before heading into the weekend. Anthony Richardson threw an interception and had some bad throws. He also had a teardrop fall in the arms of Alex Pierce and Pierce dropped it. it. And it was a beautiful throw from Anthony Richardson, but also had some real bad plays. Will Levis interception, but also had some nice throws on some rollouts deep downfield when he was under pressure was able to escape because it wasn't coming from all certain directions, but also had an interception in that game. You talk about a C.J. Stroud. We know what happened with him. Horrific interception. Just flat out didn't see the defender, Jalen Mills, is who picked him off. And we know the offensive line wasn't good for him. I didn't see any panic from Bryce Young. I didn't. I didn't see any challenging downfield. I think you would argue that he couldn't because he didn't have enough time. So if you go and break this down, he had six pass attempts. Luckily for us, not a lot of work on our end to try to figure out what happened on each of these pass plays. Two incompletions. One – was to DJ Chark down the sideline, and one was to LaVisca Chenault on the third down attempt when they were backed up against their own goal line. The other one was, you know, there wasn't any other incompletion, but a short one to Chuba Hubbard on the right where I thought maybe if you wanted to settle in a little more, there wasn't pressure right in his face at that moment. That was the second down throw. If you wanted to settle in a little bit and try Hayden Hurst past the sticks, okay. I heard one texture bring that point up to Mack and Bone earlier, but if you freeze frame that, the ball's out of his hands really quickly, and that's what allows the defender who was in Hurst area to close in on Chuba. And so I think Hurst looks a lot more open when you when you just watch it in real time mm-hmm. than if you freeze frame it. Because, you know, freeze frames can be misleading. So that's why, okay, I, I would have rather you settle in a little bit more, but you can't get sacked. Yeah. I mean, that's a safety. And then what are we talking about today? Oh, he panicked. He got to get, you got to get rid of the ball faster. Okay, fine. You you try to get it into a playmaker's hands. The DJ Chark incompletion down the sideline. I don't know what you thought about that, Wes. I guess contested, just one of those missed throws. But not even really a miss. Like he was tight covered. I don't, I don't know what kind of angle there was there. It would have been a hell of a connection between those two. I didn't really see a whole lot where if Bryce just would have done X then they would have been so much more successful. I I didn't leave this game thinking if Bryce just would have done this, that's what would have allowed them to be so much more successful in offense.
2: Yeah, me neither. I thought that he was just, as I said, taking what the defense gave him. I think if he would have had a chance to go downfield, he would have done so. But I think that especially with the pressure that was coming early on, he had the clock in his head. That's that eternal clock uh, that you want to see. And that's what a lot of people were um, complaining about when you talk about Matt Corral, when he got the sack fumble uh, placed upon him, was that that clock was not going off in his head and he, he held the football yet. way too long. And so for Bryce Young, he's a smart quarterback. He knows, okay, this pressure's getting to me pretty good today. Let me make sure I'm getting the ball out. Maybe try to slow this pass rush down as much as I can by getting the ball out quick. That's what a smart quarterback does. And again, we're just going to have to just wait and see until he gets more work because – uh, those to me just look like early in the game possessions. The offense was not in a rhythm. And so we didn't get to see the greatest performance by him in preseason week one.
1: Yeah, for for Bryce Young, I don't know how uncomfortable he was in the pocket. It didn't look like it to me. Matt Corral looked uncomfortable in the pocket. And even honestly, look, the offensive line wasn't good. But on that third and fourth sack that he took, I thought he could have stepped up, Wes. I mean, you had pressure from the outside. That's mm-hmm. classic step up territory. It looked like the interior offensive line had it held down on that third and four sack that Mm -hmm. he took, but he was uncomfortable and he doesn't step up far enough or quickly enough. The presence was off and he gets put down. That's a sack going against the offensive line. And sometimes sacks are a quarterback stat. I think that's one where, again, it doesn't mean we absolve the offensive line for their responsibility, but it seemed like the interior had it okay. Doesn't step up and boom, gets dropped to the ground. Corral is one where it looked like a guy playing in his first organized game as a third-string QB for the first time in over a year, right? Because he got hurt so early. He didn't even see regular season action last season. Uh, like, there's a lot for him to be more comfortable with. And so I'm not even using this against Corral, saying, oh, he's never going to figure it out. Man, that is a lot of time that guy has uh, had to wait for in order to get back out there on the football field with any kind of significant snap count.
2: And the thing I would say about Corral is not that you... Should not care about it, but is it kind of an afterthought because you're like, unless, like I said, a a very catastrophic thing happens to the Panthers quarterback room, are you worried about really having to use him like that this year anyway?
1: I mean, no. But yes, there are going to be people out there saying, well, look at your 49ers last year, Wes. Yeah, there's always going to be outliers. There's always going to be exceptions. But I always go back to the quote, I believe, I think it might have been Tom Moore, who was with the Indianapolis Colts. And they were practicing with Peyton Manning, constantly taking all of the snaps. And Jim Sorgi, their backup quarterback, wasn't taking any. And somebody asked Tom Moore, hey, why doesn't Sorge at all take any of the snaps? Don't you want any of that insurance on your hand? He said... And let me tell you something. If that man right there, he points at Peyton Manning. He says, if that man right there goes down, we're bleeped. And we don't practice bleeped. (laughs) (laughs) So why would you care about Mack Yeah, you're already done. You're already done. If Mack sees significant time, yeah, maybe it could happen like Brock Purdy. All right. I'm sorry that I can't bank on that. I'm sorry that I can't bank on that. So that's my point. You're right. Like I'm not going to worry too much and maybe Matt Corral could play better in these next couple of games. We do have a few more contests oh, he's to get to. Oh, going to get
2: plenty of snaps. Yep. So there's no question you're going to be seeing a lot of Matt
1: Corral. Oh, it's going bad for Jack here. He said I want Jacob Eason back. Yeah, I'm sorry, Jack. <laughs> we liked him cuz he was tall. That's that was all the that was all the analysis that was provided on Jacob Eason when he signed with the Carolina Panthers. All right, I think we might have an interesting story here. If not here, then you're going to have to wait for the live wire for that interesting story to pop up. But we have another Fitty flash for you What you got Fitty?
0: Fitting.
3: we're gonna do it here but we also might just revisit in the live walk because it might be worth revisiting we're all familiar with michael orr's story the blind side the the football movie remember how all happy we were watching that and we all thought well give us all these great feelings watching things he overcame to become a great football player. Turns out, it might not be all true. It might be a lie. According to a 14-page petition filed in Shelby County, Tennessee, in probate court, this petition alleges that the over, who took Orr into their home as a high school student, they never adopted him. Instead, less than three months after Orr turned 18, he was tricked into signing a document that made him... Conservators, which gave them legal authority to make business deals in his name, which, of course, they made over $300 million off the blind side movie, which he never saw a dime of. And so, this is a a bombshell report, it's out there on ESPN. What do you guys make of this, this initial report? And we've heard Orr speak out before, by the way. He didn't like he was depicted in the actual film. And now this is coming out a few years later.
1: Yeah, we're up against a break. We can certainly come back to this in the live wire. But it is really sad. And Michael Orr is someone that has been vocal about the way he was depicted in The Blind Side. You're right, Fitty. This is a movie that didn't make Michael Orr out to be the smartest man in the world. And Michael Orr would always well, look, I, it's not like I was that dumb. I mean that that's the thing like they made him out to where he just could not understand what was going on in school and how the two would eventually benefit from that but also it's about this story of these parents and this family coming in and saving one Michael Lore. and it never felt like he was real comfortable with that ever and now it's coming to um, the point where it's actually uh, going to be legislated and so it'll be interesting we'll talk about that unless you have some thoughts real quick. no just, I was the just going to
2: say more Hollywood sensationalism and yeah. it's just all falling out now
1: all right we can get to it in the live wire we also have other preseason week one takeaways it's coming up next wesson walker sports radio 927 7 wfnz
2: mcdonald's is not new to chicken so maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the mccrispy juicy fried chicken buttery bun unmatched pickle to chicken ratio yeah they know what they're doing first in the Wesson Walker show sports radio 927 WFNZ on a Panthers Monday I guess we could call it that even though it is just the preseason but I'll tell you right now the Carolina Panthers will be looking for the next episode which is Friday against the New York Giants looking after the performance that they put up 27 to nothing They lose to the New York Jets. Hit us up on the text line 704-570-9610. Quick PSA. Come on, Panthers fans. Like, I'm being objective here. I'm just saying what happened on Saturday, and I keep getting inundated with 49ers uh, preseason updates. <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. I'm just trying to oh, report was, and speculate it- on what happened. They can they can keep coming. It's I okay. mean, now
1: you brought it up. And maybe that's I like, stir up the yeah. beehive just
2: a little bit. Maybe that's by design yeah. to stir it up just a little bit. But, yeah, I've definitely been getting hit with 49ers updates. And, listen, man, if you – are the fan of a team that is a proven commodity, whether it be the Chiefs, the Eagles, Here you go. the Cowboys, anybody. I mean, preseason, then you can maybe take that with a grain of salt because you know that these teams are going to be contenders when the rubber hits the road. But just saying for the Panthers, there are a lot of question marks, a lot of new with the Panthers. So, yes, there are, there is going to be some speculation uh, when things aren't going correct, when you have so much new and so much unknown with the Carolina Panthers. And so with that said, what realistic Concerns come out of this. We heard that the offensive line had an impromptu meeting to get on each other, hold each other accountable about what happened. So let's start there. And if you want to say, you know, it's just the preseason, it doesn't matter. It definitely mattered to the offensive line, especially when you talk about uh, the the performance that they put together. The players were not excited about it as well. Um, And so guys were not happy about that.
1: No, they weren't. I mean, the offensive line does care. And so when I have my panic meter number at a one and a half, it doesn't mean that I liked what I saw. It doesn't mean that I'm okay with what I saw as far as that being a performance they turn in week in and week out. What I do not care about is what, I, what I'm what i not worried about is that that is going to happen in the regular season. I don't think they're going to be that bad. I believe in Ikiakuanu figuring it out. I believe in Taylor Moten being the right tackle that he's been ever since he took over that side in, and officially and being the really good right tackle that he is going forward. So that's my whole thing about not panicking. That's that's why I'm not as concerned. But I'm glad the offensive line met about it, and then they tried to figure it out so that won't happen again once they take the field again Friday.
2: Cam Irvin came out and said, and I quote, that bleep wasn't good enough top to bottom. No matter if it's preseason, regular season, the bleep was not good enough any level from any position, myself included, especially my bleeping self. So that sounds like a man that – probably went home and was not fun uh, to be around. And as I said, I feel like that this uh, offensive line, is going to be an interesting week for them because, as I said, I just know from experience when offensive lines do not play well more than any other position on the football field, that means your week is going to be hellacious filled with physical activities to get you back to hopefully a level that is ready to go out and compete. And so uh, you got something Walt. with you? Well, got.
1: I'm just going to if we're going to talk about the offensive line, my biggest question is, was Icky the biggest negative surprise? Because it's right off of the bat. The first series, if you had to point to the biggest negative surprise that you saw, I don't know if anybody would point to right guard, even if that's the biggest problem you had. Because it was always going to be a question mark without Austin Corbett, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Michael Jordan, if you told people that Michael Jordan was going to be out there, everyone might expect chaos. Yes. Cade Mays, even though we like Cade Mays as a depth piece, it still could go badly at right guard. So I don't know if I'd point to that and say that was the biggest negative surprise. I, I didn't expect Icky to play as bad as he did. I think that would be my answer for that question. Yeah, analytically
2: speaking, he had a 43.4 offensive grade and a 15.6 pass-blocking grade on the afternoon. So, yes, I would say that was the biggest negative surprise because especially when you come into the game, Steve Smith is definitely singing the praises. Uh, He and Taylor Zarza on the coverage talking about how Steve Smith said that he's one of the best left tackles that you'll see. He didn't say young. He didn't say any of that. He said one of the best left tackles that you'll see. Ike has gotten a lot of gas this season, so to speak, as one of the rising stars in the NFL. So you would expect game one, especially with him uh, having to take care of one Bryce Young, any quarterback that's back there for that matter, you would expect it to see him play a little bit better than what he did. And I want to ask you too, do you feel like that maybe, just maybe, Icky is feeling a little bit of pressure coming into this season. We know he has to protect the quarterback's blind side. We get all that. But with Bryce Young back there, especially everybody talking about his size and how he doesn't need to take hits, do you feel like that Icky maybe feels some unnecessary pressure coming into this season?
1: It hasn't seemed like it when he talks about it. And I'll ask you, Wes, you played left tackle in the ACC just like Icky Kwanu did. Did you ever feel more pressure to the point where it affected how you played out there on the football field because of who you were blocking for?
2: Um, Well, not really. I loved my quarterbacks, but I had no Bryce Young to uh, protect. But I I do think, though, that if I'm just trying to look at it and you say, all right, I'm protecting Bryce Young, you know, if this guy gets hit, because if you give up the hit that he gets hurt on— we know that the scrutiny for Bryce Young and the sides is more than any quarterback that we've seen in quite some time so everybody's going to be like man you know you were the one that gave up the hit that got him hurting and you know, Toji's too small and look what happened and things of that nature. So it's just me speculating a little bit. I think Icky takes his job to the utmost of importance, no matter if he had Andre the Giant at quarterback or yeah. if he had Bryce Young at quarterback. But it's just interesting, just some of the analysis, because that can wear on a guy, especially if you give up a hit that gets him hurt. People are definitely going to uh, place some, some of the blame on you. But do you feel like that with what Coach Reich said post-game, Did that put any more pressure on the coaching staff? Because I would imagine that Israel Everett also was calling a vanilla scheme, did not try to do too much as well, per Frank Reich. So do you feel like that that's putting more pressure on the coaching staff, especially let's just play the advocate here. If performances like this continue, do you feel like that this is um, putting perhaps more pressure on the coaching staff?
1: I think offensively more so than defensively because the Jaro Vero didn't say anything. Frank Reich is the one that said we didn't put the guys in the best position to succeed. And I guess he was speaking for the entire team. But even with the defensive side, man, look, Zach Wilson coming in as a preseason quarterback. It's his third preseason. I know that this guy is labeled a bust right now because he has not performed as the second overall pick. No doubt about it. Zach Wilson, it's the reason that they moved on to go get Aaron Rodgers. Wilson has not been someone that you can believe in long-term. But in the preseason, what is that? how, how do we bring this down? How do we grade this on a curve? Because Zach Wilson is somebody I would still trust more than a Matt Corral going out there at QB right mm-hmm. now. Zach Wilson, after having played already in the Hall of Fame game, I think that does matter for a QB already getting hit. Bryce Young told you how much it matters. The first time you get hit, now you're ready to roll. You're actually throwing a dime down the left sideline. We all saw it on hard knocks. So Wilson is playing better against some of the backups at, on the defensive side. Wes, this is a team that did not put their three best pass rushers out there. Brian Burns, Justin Houston, Marquise Haynes. None of them played. And they only gave up three points to the ones that the Jets were putting out there on offense. No, they didn't have everybody either. But we're talking about one 25-yard gain on a running back screen pass that they did not account for. You got to make sure that you cover the running back coming out of the backfield. But other than that, we're talking about 13 receptions for under 100 yards. They kept everything in front of them. uh, Dante Jackson, positive. Thought Dante Jackson was good. Kamu grew Hill, somebody that performed well in training camp, and I saw him show up in this game. Yeah, I'm not worried about the defense.
2: All right, real quick as we are up against it, but real quick, which bothered you more? If anything, DJ Moore scoring touchdown on first (laughs) touch as a bear or – The Saints'
1: opening drive in their game and how Derek Carr looked. Uh, If I had to choose, it would be losing that guy as a playmaker for DJ Moore. That's what I'm going to roll
2: with. I would go with Carr and the Saints because he looked pretty sharp on the first drive. It's one drive, so we'll see uh, as we continue. But when we come back on the other side, more Panthers talk, more concerns, more positives, more whatever you want to talk about with the Panthers on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.